This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTag Games Podcast, your only podcast of international exploration, supernatural agents against the supernatural, and all kinds of crazy alternate universes. This week, we are very much honored to have a world-famous RPG writer, Jess Hartley with us, and she's going to join us for an in-depth discussion about how gender roles can be really awesome in your game. Jess, are you there? I am. Hi, guys. Welcome, Jess, to the uh, TriTag Games podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Jess, you are really considered to be a very luminary person. You have been writing so much stuff. Was it like 30 games in the, uh, or part of 30 projects in the last two years? Uh, not the last two years, but over the last eight years or so, yeah. Um, coming close to 40 projects in the in the gaming industry. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, most writers are happy just to get on one project. <laughs> Maybe for those who are not familiar with you, you could give a little bit of background of where you got started and uh, what you're into. Sure, totally. Um, back in about 2003, 2004, I started writing for White Wolf Games. My first project for them was actually a media tie-in novel, so I kind of came into the gaming industry backwards. A lot of people start with writing games and work their way up to novels, and I kind of came at it the other direction. But I started writing for them for their new World of Darkness and continued on through their Scion and Exalted products. Since then, I've written at least one product or been on the team that's written because most of the products are you know, more than one person actually writing them for at least one game product for each of their new World of Darkness lines and most of the stuff they've got coming out now in terms of games. I've worked in some way or another on it. So it's it's really been awesome. That really is an amazing list of things that you have done. We're very glad to have you with us because we really think that you, coming from you know the actual RPG background, can really bring some insight into our topic tonight. Thanks, thanks. We're trying to get some illumination as to the different ways that female gamers and her, their characters can interact in a group. We're especially interested in how this would make a difference between all male gaming groups, for example. That's one reason why we brought you, because we felt that being a woman, you would have a different perspective on this, but also because of your familiarity with the different games that you've been involved with, that you might see some opportunities that other people may not realize. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited about talking on that topic with you guys. Well, Blix, why don't you give us the first question that we have for Ms. Harley? Okay. So... The vast majority of gamers are male, and most groups consist of all-male players. Oh, stop right there. What's that? <laughs> I disagree. Really? I do. I do. In fact, when I saw that statement, I thought, oh, God, I'm going to tick them off because I'm going to start out arguing with them right away. No, that's fine. Yay. Now, well, I, I can only speak from my experience, from what I've seen. That's what I've seen. So uh, if you've seen something different, go right ahead. Totally. Um, well, I think... 
first of all, before we make broad statements like that, we need to discuss what some of those topics or what some of those terms mean. Okay. Because when you talk about a lot of people, there is very definitely a stereotype that all gamers are male or the vast majority of gamers are male. Mm Mm-hmm. That most gamers are, you know, in their 20s or, you know, depending upon which group you're playing with, people tend to think that most gamers are in their general age group. Okay. But part of the problem is that within the tabletop industry, there haven't been much in the way of studies done on the topic because, quite honestly, few organizations actually have the resources and the reach to do those sorts of studies. Okay. But we can look at, for example, ah, I grabbed it. I was doing some research on it today because I'm like, I don't think that's true. But I also realize that as a female gamer and as a female in the industry, my perception is slanted. So I went back and I was looking at a study that Wizards of the Coast actually did back in 1999. So that was you know more than 10 years ago. Okay. And at that point, when they were polling their individuals from an adventure game industry market research summary that they did... At that point, about 20% of the gamers, the people that responded to that survey were female. That's a pretty good number. That's a pretty good number. And it's 10 plus years ago. If you look at what has happened with MMOs and social gaming online and that sort of thing, and the predominance of new indie games and that sort of thing that are more appealing to a broad diversity of gamers, I think we can extrapolate out that the market share of female gamers is least equal to more than that now. I mean, you think about that, that's one in five gamers is female. I think that's great. I always want more female gamers around. It's easier on the eyes than the guys, for sure. Yeah. Never even considered the MMOs. I actually do know a lot of females play MMOs. I mean, that is a very big market for uh, female players. And I wasn't even considering that in the role-playing, but you know what, it really is the same thing. You're just not sitting at a table. Yes. Again, the BBC uh, did a study, and this was much more recent. This was like 2006, I think. When they were studying EverQuest 2, 40% of the gamers who responded to their survey were female. Mm. There's also a study on social gaming, which includes things like Zynga's, uh, you know, online kind of games and more social games, casual games like Sims and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. that have come across that actually say that in those sorts of games, there's actually a majority of players are women. So I guess it really depends upon what you're calling gamers. Like mm-hmm. if you're talking about only people that sit around a tabletop, only people who play, you know, a certain type of game. I mean, there's very definitely certain games appeal more strongly to a diverse player group. Right. Be they male and female or be they different ages or, or that sort of thing. So I think we have to be really careful about anecdotal evidence when you're talking about this because everyone sees their own particular slice as the way all gaming tables are. Being that you do disagree with it, it makes it a better question because yeah. that's a failed perception that a lot of people have that I had. And I'm glad that you know you, you were able to, to bring that up and, and, and give me a different point of view on it. So no, I'm glad you disagree with me. That's excellent. <laughs> No, I'm serious. I, th- I think let's it, get, get off on the right foot. <laughs> it, it makes no. It does. It ma- it makes a better question. Since I've been gaming since the '70s, of the one, two, three, four, five, six gaming groups, at least half of those were co-ed. I mean, my very first gaming group was the Order of Leibwitz in uh, Oakland University back in Michigan, and it was about I would say seventy thirty. 
while I was in the station Fort Bliss, I had a small guinea group where it was males because we're in the army. But my LARPing group was 50-50. Yeah, and a lot of the my gaming experience comes from the LARP community. There, it is not uncommon at all to have a 50% or greater percent of, of women. My current group is more or less 50-50. Mm-hmm. I did yeah. just for the sake of anecdotal information, because I realized that any group that I'm in has at least one female in it. So, you know, my perceptions, of course, are going to be different than a guys who may very well have been in groups that were male only. So I used Twitter because I'm just totally a, a geek and put out a call this afternoon and just said, how many tabletop groups have you been in that are male only? And I had over 50 people respond to it. And out of that, less than 10% regularly gamed with a male-only group. They're lucky because you know what? My group, we like new players and we don't discriminate in any way. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyone can come to the table. We don't care. There was one short period of time that we had a a female actually play and and it was the wife of one of our players. That's it. Other than that, we haven't had any. Uh, So I can say my, my view is pretty skewed. Real quick, did Trav, did you want to chime in us? Because I know you said your groups are 50-50. I have two gaming groups. I have my Fringeworthy Friday night group and the D&D bi-weekly Saturday night group. I have one female in the Fringeworthy group and two in the Saturday. One of them is my 17-year-old daughter. So <laughs> nice. I, and I've been gaming myself for over 30 years. Usually one to two females out of a five to eight person group. So not quite as many as some of you others. But yeah, I've had females in my throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. So, Bruce, go ahead. On to the question. Granted that there are many different group mixes, but assuming that we have an all-male group, what can a woman gamer bring to a campaign that an all-male group would lack? Oh, that's such a trick question because an all-male group could represent almost anything. I think that one thing that a group in general benefits from in having a more diverse player base is more experiences to draw on different viewpoints to be brought in to the gaming. And I think that that's the same sort of thing that you get, whether it's just a diverse group of men or a diverse group of women or men and women together. But I think that we can have a tendency as gamers to clump up with people with similar viewpoints and similar perspectives and similar play styles. So sometimes bringing in a more diverse group can really bring new perspective to the game, both in character and out of character. I don't personally like to say that bringing a woman into the group will make it more diplomatic. Bringing a woman into the group will help ease player communications because I've played with women who like to play extremely violent characters. I've probably played with extremely violent women too, but that's a a different (laughs) topic. And I've played with men who are stereotypically better at the diplomacy and, you know, subtle behind the scenes manipulations and that sort of thing. So I tend to not look at players stereotypically as, you know, a woman will add this to a game or a man will add this to a game. But I am a firm believer that diversity is inherently a good thing. So you're saying that if you bring a woman into an all-male campaign, then you're almost guaranteed to have a different perspective than that group has had. Anytime you bring in anyone who has different perspectives into a group, you're going to increase the possibility of there being broader perspectives and thus more diverse play and new tactics being taken if it's a dungeon tactic 
goal-accomplishing focused game. When you have more diverse players, you've got a, a broader selection of insight to, to be brought into that. If it's a role-play heavy game where you're doing a lot of interpersonal role-play, having a, a diversity of uh, players can can bring that in. There are definitely some aspects that tend to come out more often when you throw men and women in the same group. Mm -hmm. But those tend to be so stereotyped. I don't know. I don't like to say, you know, hey, bring a girl into your game and, uh, you know, the the social politicking will go up or, you know, that sort of thing. Because she might come in and bring it down. (laughs) Well, yeah. Or she might really, really groove on playing the characters that just go in and kill things. I play with female players who like doing everything from just killing things and taking their stuff to playing the stereotypical healer slash ranger kind of thing to playing the political machination. Chances are, if you bring in a more diverse player base, you're going to diversify your experience. And I, I think that that's a positive thing. Excellent. And the guys been playing the Zeftic blonde warrior Amazon babe will starting to go, I think I want to play a different character now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Heck, everybody's like that. I try to play a different character every time I play. I mean, there are going to be similarities because I am who I am. There are times when, you know, I'll play like a gun-toting crazy man. Right now, the character I'm playing in my current campaign, I'm a mechanic. And my character doesn't really like unnecessary violence. He doesn't mind the violence. You know, they were talking about doing a hit on something. And he was like, uh, I'm a mechanic. <laughs> can I fix the... <laughs> can, can, can I fix the car that's going to do the hit on the <laughs> the thing? He's like, I'll wait out here in the car. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you guys need a getaway driver, right? Right. And that's what my character... And that's how he plays. He's like, he's, he's the reluctant fighter. Like, what's going to happen is because our group fights a lot. But he's going to wind up in a lot of fights. And he's always going to be the guy who's like... Hey, I got the getaway car outside. You know, we can get away. As in, run away. <laughs> as in, get in the car. And not get shot. <laughs> right? So, uh, he, but he's not a coward. He's just not stupid. He's very practical. Right, he's a very practical kind of guy. The last character I played was uh, a true blue uh, a gun-toting hero. You know, he was, he was your pulp hero. So, you know, I try to switch it up every time I play. I try to stretch my playing boundaries as much as I can. So there's no reason why anyone else wouldn't, you know, uh, you know, you, you invite a woman into the game and she plays whatever she plays. Exactly. Yes. Do male players defer to you in regards to male female relationships and interactions or in how they should be playing females? Are you considered an expert on female matters simply because you are female? Well, I'd like to point out that your four-person male podcast invited me on to talk about it. So <laughs> I think, yeah, that the tendency tends to be that, and, and it happens with any sort of a minority in a majority setting. I took women's studies classes in college, and the one or two guys that were in the class were frequently called upon to represent their entire gender. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, really... I also am willing to talk for everyone who has brown eyes and or the name Jess, but (laughs) that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be able to represent them. My views are really only my views, but you're right. There does tend to be a viewpoint that inherently because I am female, I maybe have some sort of special insight into what all women are as gamers or as game industry individuals 
it's kind of amusing if you step back and think about it. But I realize that in most cases, in the vast majority of cases, it's that deference is being presented out of a genuine desire by individuals who are in the majority caste to understand and be respectful of and be inclusive of those who are not in the majority caste. I mean, I think it's awesome that we're talking about it, Mm -hmm. but I think that it's important to also remember that there are women, I've been on panels in the gaming industry and in conferences and conventions. I've been in panels with women who are also female gaming industry professionals, writers, etc., who have drastically different views on the whole topic than I do, who really strongly believe that there is an inherent difference in gaming with a woman versus gaming with a man, and that those stereotypes are definitely more true than not true. So, I mean, I think it's really important to believe that even within the minority cast, a very specific niche of a very specific hobby, um, there's still just a huge variety of different views. And each one is based on their own experiences and, and education and personal viewpoints. I think one of the things this comes from, uh, speaking for me, Bruce, John, and Trav, I was born in 1970. I think John and, and Bruce might be a little bit older than me. What's that, Sonny? Just a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, there was a very viewed difference between men and women. This is how men were, and this is how women were, and this is, and we grew up with this. This was on TV. This was in our books. This was in every facet of our life. You know, women got paid less. They didn't do certain jobs. You're talking about that in the past tense, and yet so many things that you're saying very, very much. It's only it just recently in the last like 20 years, 25 years, that we've actually started looking at the topic as actually a valid topic. Those differences were there. They still are. We're trying to get ahead as a society of people are trying to do the right thing. And that's, that's, a, that's wonderful. But it takes time, you know. Oh, yeah. The wheels have been turning one way for so long, you know, it's kind of hard to, like, turn that wheel and get it going the other way, get it going in the right direction. Yeah. Listening to you talk, and I'm looking at the questions that I made up, and I'm like, man, I, you know, some of, this, some of these questions are. There's, there's still some of that old thinking in there. And it, it's good that we're starting to move on and we're starting to think about, you ask questions like, what does a woman gamer bring to the game? Well, what does anybody bring to the game? Right. Replace woman with anyone. And then you're looking at things from a realistic point of view. If you were to replace woman and look at it as a gender issue and replace that with a race or a age group or mm-hmm. a, a regional thing, like what do Americans bring to the game as opposed to Canadians? You know, that sort of thing. It it's kind of gives us some interesting viewpoints on how we segregate ourselves as individuals and as gamers right one of my earliest gaming experiences besides the gender thing was one of the guys we game with he was suffering severely from Lou Gehrig's mm-hmm. you know he had to be wheeled in a wheelchair and he didn't have good motor control but we game with him nonetheless you know we, we treat him okay and this is back in the 70s so. oh yeah mm-hmm. um I had in my Sunday night group we had somebody with spina bifida he had the mm-hmm. leg braces and the crutches there were times he was in a wheelchair In my Friday night group, I have my 10-year-old nephew. His father is a black man, so we have race and age along with a female (laughs) gamer and all of us 30, 40-something. So gaming groups have gotten more and more diverse. Yeah. 
But there is still, as Blick said, a hint of, and I hate using this term, but it's the, the old boys club. But it's <laughs> disappearing, thankfully. Well, one of the reasons that I raised this question and the reason that I, I mention it is the fact that I, as a podcaster, listen to a lot of other RPG podcasts. It's not uncommon that they would have an all-women's episode where they would all get together. What I have heard many, many times is something that falls into the area of entitlement. That they say the only thing wrong about guys playing female characters is the fact that they play them so badly. As a guy who has played female characters before, I was more than a little bit incensed with that comment. Wow. I don't think that there's anything wrong with guys playing female characters or females playing guy characters. I figure if, if I can believe that Blix is a vampire or an alien, I can certainly believe that he's a woman. Right. But the idea was that there's somehow there was this standard that guys don't get. So they can only play poorly wrought female characters. Just like some people think that you can't play someone of a different ethnic or racial bent because you don't have that background. Hmm. Interesting viewpoint. That's a good point. It's like, oh, a guy can't play a female, okay? But he can play a dwarf because yeah. he, he knows what that's like. But he can't play a female dwarf. Right. As long as it's a male dwarf. Because he'd do that badly. <laughs> right. And he certainly couldn't play a female black elf. Right, of course. That was, <laughs> that's just crazy. <laughs> so let's move on to the next one. Okay. Awesome. In many societies, there are gender roles that limit a woman's rights and or position. Some GMs hand wave this as part of the fantasy and remove all in-game gender bias. What is your position on this stance? Gosh, I'm, I'm not really sure. It's, it's interesting that you say in many societies, because as we just talked about, even in our society, which we tend to think of as being very egalitarian, there's still some very, very strong gender roles that are reinforced by our society mm -hmm. and by media and by the legal system and, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, if a, a GM was to really remove, quote unquote, all gender bias, he'd end up with something that was very, very different than even our society. Well, for example, I play SCA and we recreate the Middle Ages. It's not really a role-playing game, but it is role-playing because we're taking on roles. And we tend to ignore things like the fact that society treated men and women much differently back then, even more so than now. I think that that's a good thing. I think that it... it can be a, a very positive thing in terms of characters and, and that sort of thing. But I also think that there can be some really interesting cultural examination that's done by encountering a society where things are very, very different. For example, like in Exalted, where women tend to be very, very strong political, especially among the dragon-blooded. I think that, you know, you can have some really, really interesting cultural examinations by doing that. And it's definitely a positive thing to be able to step out of character and say, hey, listen, that was kind of interesting. What does that mean? Right. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, I mean, that, that actually leads into the next question is, so then you would rather keep it in for accuracy and play with the adversity. It, it, you think it would make the game more interesting? Not inherently, but I think that there is value in doing that. Um, it depends upon the group and what you're trying to get out of it. I mean, sometimes a game is just a game, and sometimes we mm -hmm. want to just want to go and kill things, or we just want to go and, you know, explore 
post-apocalyptic America or that sort of thing. And we don't want to spend a lot of our recreational time looking at cultural issues or examining sociopolitical ramifications of gender roles. Right. There can be some interesting things can be explored with the right group of people who are interested in doing that. Um, Jess, would it be safe to say that if you put just enough in to let your players know, okay, these gender biases may be here, we know they're there, fine, move on with the adventure. Because I've had some female gamers that if you put in too much of that gender bias as a GM, they start giving me that look like, we get the point, move on. You don't (laughs) think, yeah, you don't think that you're beating it in with a hammer, but just there are some people, and this goes for all subsets of our culture may not just be female it could be young old whatever that you just a little too much well i think yeah you definitely have to know your audience like like anything else if the game is all about killing orcs then you know talking about the socio-political ramifications of the gender stratification in the culture may not necessarily be something that's important but if you're talking about a game like um john wick's houses of the blooded and you need to understand those things because they may affect how you interact with other players it may may even affect the way the other players have created their characters what their in-character goals are those sorts of things then yeah you do need to know that sort of thing so i think it's really a matter of knowing your audience and knowing what they're there to do in our group we kind of hand wave that a little bit it's an all-male group so it's it, it doesn't really come up that much it's sort of on topic sort of off topic we have the two of our players are black guys and they're very good friends of ours. We've been, oh my God, we've been gaming with them for like 10 years now. So we were very comfortable when we played, we were playing uh, Savage Worlds and we were playing in 1943 America. And the game master wanted to use uh, the, the KKK as a bad guy group. And we, we talked with the other two guys, look, how comfortable are you with this? We won't use it if, you know, if it's going to be uncomfortable because we want to play them accurately because our group is really big on accuracy. And, and just, you know, and, and going with it. And they're like, no, go with it. Do whatever you got to do. You know, it's like we didn't use them a lot, but they were one of the villains in, in the game. So the game master was free to drop the end bomb if he needed to for gameplay purposes. Mm-hmm. And it actually made our game better because they got more satisfaction when they killed the enemy, killing the villains because they were more horrible than they would have been without that. It gave it more visceral feelings. Relating that back to women, if you were playing a game where uh, you were in a slaver society, like say, for example, you were playing a game that set, was set in um, uh, Hyperborea, you know, with Conan, they have uh, women's slavery and such. Would you be okay playing with a game master who said, all right, look, this is you're going to be in an area that's, that does women's slave trading and you might be captured or whatever, but, you know, are you comfortable with me playing this out with slavers? Oh, yeah. I think it really depends upon the storyteller and the players involved, because I could see that kind of a situation being really awesome or really crap, depending upon the other players involved, the storyteller and how they handled it and that sort of thing. It's really funny. One of my major things, it's not a a gender kind of situation, but I am extremely sensitive about playing with parents and then playing anything that involves children being abused or abducted, that sort of thing. It's way more of an issue for me than playing a female in a society where females may get abused because I figure I'm a big girl, I can handle it. 
I'm, I'm much more touchy about kids stuff. <laughs> we don't touch kids at all. Kids don't even make an appearance in our game. We don't use them for anything. Like they're never used as like an enticement to go save or, or anything like that. We just don't even go there. Yeah. Oh, I love using kids as enticements. They're great. <laughs> they stand up there and they says, I thought you were a big hero. Boy, I was mistaken. And they all and all the players are like, Oh man, I gotta we gotta go put our lives on the line now because I can't live with that little kid's big brown eyes looking at me like that. No, we we, we don't even touch that at all. Just something about gender in, in game era. Blix was talking about pulp. Now, mm-hmm. the b- two big stereotypes in the pulp genre were either the female who fell in love with the hero was usually the absent-minded scientist's daughter, or yep. you had the femme fatale villain. Yep. Those are the only two stereotypes in the pulp genre. Now, there may be some females who be like, okay, they're there, roll with it, or there may be the ones who buck tradition, and they're the gun-toting hero, like a female version of the Shadow or whatever. But yeah, I, what, I what, yeah, that there are some types of stereotypes in certain genres that just, especially for women, they just, you know, you gotta watch with. I agree totally. Although in the, the pulp genre, there's also, when you look at golden era comics and that sort of thing, you get the whole the Wonder Woman and that sort of thing. So there is some precedent for that kind of stuff, depending upon how film noir you're going. I've always been a firm believer that in terms of playing a female character, playing a male character, there's really two ways to do it. Either you can just kind of go, yes, I'm going to allow females in my game to play the hard-boiled pulp PI kind of thing, and nobody's going to really pay attention to the fact that they're a woman and in a lot of pulp stuff, women didn't do those kind of roles. Or you could let them deal with the fact that it's pretty unusual in those genres for a woman to be playing that kind of a character, for a woman to be fulfilling that kind of a role, and have them make that part of their thing that their character is dealing with. What I would not do is not allow a, a, a player, whether they're a male player or a female player, to play a certain type of character based on gender because of their sex. I mean, if you want to make it more challenging for them or make it something that they've got to develop some personality traits and some ways of dealing with that in character, that's awesome. Uh, I'm reminded of like Murphy in the Dresden Files, uh, Karen Murphy. You know, she's a hard-boiled cop. Sometimes she gets some flack because, you know, she is a detective in a a predominantly male-focused profession. But that has an effect on her as a character. It doesn't stop her from playing that character. But it does present some interesting role-play challenges. And it has some impact on how she interacts with the rest of the world. She kind of approaches it as, yeah, I have something to prove and I proved it. If you are going to bring that, I'm going to prove it again. And you might end up with a broken arm. Yeah. But also, if you're looking for from the pulp era, Pat Savage, Doc Savage's cousin, she was a rough and tum tomboy. That was during the pulp era. So there were females who were outside the, the stereotypical roles. You can also retcon pulp if you'd like. In our group for the pulp game we were playing in the 40s, the game master took Lara Croft as a model and made a character based on Lara Croft 
in that time period. She was this gun-toting, independent woman that did what she wanted when she wanted to, and uh, she would kick your butt if you got in her way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she totally fit in the genre because Laura Croft is literally based off of the pulp genre hero. Yeah, right. So, Jess, is it fair to say that the only way that a person is limited in gender roles in a particular genre is if you're limiting yourself only to the stereotypical representations of that genre? Could you restate the question? (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm not sure I followed. Is it true that the only reason that you would be limiting your gender roles to be exclusively male or female because you're playing a particular genre would be because you were only trying to represent characters as being stereotypically representations of that genre. Perhaps, but I think even when you think about quote-unquote stereotypes, like, for example, going back to Polbera, everyone thinks of the femme fatale, the ingenue, that sort of thing. But if you actually go and do some digging on that kind of character in that era you come up with stuff like jane arden crime reporter it was a comic series that ran for like 40 years that was very noir from like 27 through 68 i think you just have to find the stereotypes that suit what you're looking for i personally unless you're playing a game for some purpose other than recreation if you're doing it for historical reenactment or you know, something like that where you're attempting to use it for educational purposes or something like that. I'm a firm believer in not letting facts get in the way of your fun. Yeah, absolutely. You're there to accomplish whatever flavor of fun it is you're trying to accomplish. If for your group that means that you are going to be extremely historically accurate and all of your game materials are based on completely factual stuff, then maybe that's what will be fun for you. I don't believe that anything that a a particular group decides is fun for them is bad, wrong fun. But I think that bad, wrong fun is the fun that doesn't let everybody in the group do what they want to be doing to have fun with each other. Oh yeah. In our games, our number one rule of thumb is don't step on somebody else's spotlight time. Yes. Our group. We have this thing, we have this saying, it's called, it's your comic. Because if you ever notice in comic books, when you have a matchup or you have a fight between two uh, superheroes or villains or whatever, the one who wins is always the one whose comic it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, like if you have like Spider-Man versus Hulk, the winner is going to be whoever's comic it is. If it's Spider-Man, Spider-Man wins. If it's Hulk, Hulk wins. So sometimes we'll start out the evening and we'll just know whose comic it is that night. We don't always want it to be about one player because some players are stronger than others. You know, some players just play stronger than others. In my group, I'm a very strong player, but there are nights where I'll show up and I'll be like, "It's not my comic tonight, guys. I, I don't want to be the hero. I want someone else. Please, someone else be the hero tonight." Look, it can take a lot of energy to keep the spotlight role going and still keep other players involved. Right. And so sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's you just want to sit in the back and, and say, no, I drive the getaway car tonight. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's why sometimes I play those characters. That's why I'm playing that character now because I'm just like, I just want to be the getaway driver. Really, seriously. <laughs> so that's when the GM plans this enormous car chase where you get to be the getaway driver for the next two hours. <laughs> well, that's okay. I, I can deal with that. So, staying on topic. <laughs> What's that? 
bring the good ship ADD back in line. Ridland Bay, there you go. So, squirrel. <laughs> oh, look, a chicken. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm going to make this, this question a little more general than it was before. Okay. Um, have, you, have you ever played at a table and come away angered because of a gender-based issue? As In other words, somebody was being chauvinistic or somebody was being uh, condescending or you felt like somebody just got it wrong, but not just got it wrong by mistake, got it wrong was was just generally somehow uh, offensive. In that case, for the most part, it's probably because – of a personality conflict between me and the other gamer, because if it's not, if it's just that guy was really playing a stereotypical bimbo and it irritated me, either I'll be able to laugh it off or I'll be able to talk with them and say, really? Okay. So that's really how you see all women or that's really how you, you know, that's, that's your best shot. But uh, for the most part, those are not kind of people that I'm going to want to game with anyway, on a repeated basis. I mean, I think I'm more likely to be irritated, actually have emotions raised by out-of-character stuff about female gamers or people that treat one portion of the gaming population, whether that's gender or age or economic class or type of gaming. I don't know how many times I've gotten into the LARPing versus tabletopping versus video game debate. Those people are just evil, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> You notice I didn't identify a group there. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting about that is that I, I know Bruce, I think all of us uh, have run convention games. And in a convention game, you have to leave every bit of that at the door. By going to a convention and running a game, you accept the social contract that everyone who comes up at that table is equal. And I've had people at, at my table that I personally didn't like. But I couldn't let that show, and I had to treat them equally because we signed that social contract when we went to a convention. So said my two favorite words. What's that? Social contract. I love that. That makes me so happy. It, it is. It, we, we do. We, we live by social contracts. You know, when, when we do this, we have this understanding. And the players do, too. When they show up at your table, they've signed that contract, too. They don't realize it, but they have. Yeah, a lot of them don't realize that. Some of them don't, and sometimes you got to correct them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the challenge with social contracts is quite often they're so implicit. Yeah. If you have not, if you have people who have differing viewpoints on those social contracts, for example, what it's okay to portray how over-the-top stereotypes are allowed to be and how much in-character, out-of-character jabbing is going to go on between players. And being so those things aren't stereotypically written out, spoken out, they're just inherently assumed. We each assume our own viewpoint on it is what the group is working with. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, yeah, it does require some course correction, as it were. It has broadened my view. Mm -hmm. Before I started doing conventions... I think I was more narrow-minded in my views, not because I wanted to be, but just because that's how I was, because that's what I had experienced. And, and I started doing conventions, and I started running games, and it was anybody could show up at your table. I think it has helped me grow as a person, and I think that that is one of the things that you know gaming conventions might not get recognized for, the fact that they, they help us be better people by getting along with everybody. I, I would totally agree. It's kind of like a, a mixer dance, a snowball dance where you have to change partners all the time. <laughs> you're, right. you're forced to break out of your chosen group and your chosen social contract. 
and expand out your horizons a little bit more. I think it's awesome. Okay. I'm probably a little guilty of, of making some angry. It's during our last pulp game where it's pulp era, 30. So I was playing Buck Gordon, you know, man of action. <laughs> <laughs> and I decided to play him, your stereotypical man of action, which means the female characters of the group, he always say, stand behind me, women. Let the men take care of this. And boy, did I get looks. You know, That's a bad thing to say because those female mm-hmm. characters that are behind you might have guns as they're standing behind you. Yeah. yeah. This is very true. Mm-hmm. Yesterday's Tomorrow is actually uh, created by John Wick, who's a friend of mine from Phoenix. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. uh, John and Roe are awesome people. And the games that John creates have some really, really interesting takes on interpersonal communications that I haven't seen in a lot of RPGs. It's a bit more story-based. And I always had to keep stepping back and saying, okay, I'm playing in genre, folks. He's a stereotypical action hero male. What do you expect? But still, I would get people getting ticked at me, you know, know, for for doing that. John and Blitz, you did mention about convention gaming and social contracts. Now, as far as gender roles go, if you're in a long-term gaming group, you know your players better. You know what that you don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever there happens to be. Yeah, I have a female gamer in my Friday night group, and I have two in the Saturday night group that my, my friend Eric runs. And it's like, obviously, Eric's not going to sit there and go certain places with my 17-year-old daughter and my 21-year-old friend, Amanda. Just certain places you don't go. In the Friday night game I have, there's certain places I have a female peer. I'm not going to go there. Just, But when you're at a convention, it's a crapshoot. You don't know who is going to walk in that door, into that room. And so you really have to, for convention gaming and things like gender, which can be touchy, you really have to think on your feet because it's like you walk in the door, you know, you walk in the door of a game and you can end up in a game that is just totally not what you're wanting to do. And you either got to, now I'm not going to say suck it up, but you either got to, you know, brace yourself and say, okay, I'm here to play a game. I'll just, it's for a couple hours and I'll be done. Or things can really get sticky and then it's bad for everybody. And especially the people who are on the, the sidelines having to watch it all. You got to remember everyone at that table paid their entrance fee. Right. They're there to have a good time, and you're there by their grace. You wouldn't be there if not for them. And hopefully you're there to have fun, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. But you have to consider everybody at the table. Sometimes you have to play that balancing act. Fortunately, I've been pretty good about keeping that moving along. I don't know what your guys, what your all's experience is with that, but I haven't really had any real issues between players at a table at a convention, even though I could tell... There was a one of the ones I did down at Dragon Con. One of the guys at the table was being really annoying, and everybody was getting tired of him. But I had that when I was running a fringeworthy game where I decided half the team is going to be female, half the team members are going to be male. One guy actually picked the character who was supposed to be the team leader, and I basically figured had a sex change operation because he was not playing it as a female. <laughs> <laughs> It can be hard for some people, especially I've met men who can play very, very good female characters, but it can be difficult. It's a pre-generated character, so you don't have any investment in creating it. 
you've got a very, very short time to prepare for getting your mind in that mindset. A lot of times, especially if it's a player who's not familiar with playing outside of their gender, be that male or female, you do tend to grab the stereotypes or you just ignore it and end up playing a very, very masculine woman or a very, very feminine man. And Oh, you know. oh Jess, get this. At my last, uh, the last game I ran, it was a fringe-worthy pulp-era game, and I had four people. I had my girlfriend, Becky, who played character based on her. I made it for her. She's new to gaming. That was fine. A couple of ladies who I assume were a couple, one played a female kind of 40s hero and the other one played like a male criminal mm-hmm. and then like one of the lady's sons who played of all things a large black man so <laughs> we had the, the the gender roles and they all played i mean i had a, a sheet with descriptions on them and they just snapped right in it was like okay we are these characters and it went very well and oh, that's just awesome the one lady play the street criminal Gene Levine, and I'm just looking at this lady just working the character, and I, I was impressed. And I didn't know if she was a longtime gamer or she just clicked or what, but I mean, it went very well. So thankfully, with that experience, I didn't have a lot of problem with that. But usually in my gaming groups, when you have one trying to play the other and just it, you just want to facepalm, you're like, oh, this is <laughs> the train wreck. Yeah. It can be really challenging, too, because I think that in, at least in American society, women are given, as we're growing up, we're given much more freedom about emulating masculine traits, whether that's in role-playing, like, I'm going to play the handsome prince when I'm a kid and we're all playing Snow White or something, or whether that's just things that were considered 100 years ago or 50, 60 years ago to be very masculine Things such as wearing pants and being engineers and firemen and and that sort of thing. I think women are given much more by our society, much more sexual freedom to emulate stereotypical or historically stereotypical male traits without it being considered a challenge to their inherent gender than men are given to emulate female traits either in role play or in other societal aspects. So we get much more practice stepping into or much less pressure not to step into those roles than men do to step into male roles. Absolutely. Our group just had this discussion just this past week where we all agreed that we would be willing to play a gay male character, but we weren't willing to deal with the garbage we would get from the other players in the group. Like my friend John was, he's like, you know, I would play a gay character, but I'm not, you know, I'm not ready for the garbage you guys are going to give me (laughs) for doing that. The ribbing would be constant. Oh, no, no. In a gaming group, especially the longer you've known the people, it's not friendship on a nicety. It's friendship on a blackmail. (laughs) That's like breathing. It's autonomic. You know, you're going to take it. You know you're going to take grief from these people. It's only for a little while. Just go through it and write it out. Yeah. I'd be very tempted to do that one time, just to play a, 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 yeah. a character type that I never played before. Since I live here in Seattle area, you can't get away with playing the Lithman Hello there, darling. You would get actually crucified for a different reason. <laughs> when you play other genders or whatnot, you have the stereotype, just one wrong thing, and you go screaming right into stereotype, Bill, and you're going to push a button. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of that has to do with what your attitude is in doing it. If 
if you're playing a stereotype for comedic effect, then yeah, you kind of are making fun of that other individual. You know, I mean, if you're if yeah. you're playing a buxom bimbo and you're playing her that way because you think it's going to be funny, then yeah, you kind of are making fun of women in general or that kind of stereotype. So yeah, you're likely going to push buttons. But if you're playing you know, a gay male character or a female character and you're playing it in a way that's would not be any different than if a gay male or a female were playing that character, then you're probably much less likely to push people's buttons because you're not exploiting that stereotype for comedic effect. And so it got what, silent. <laughs> so Jess, when you're at the gaming table, do you, what gender of characters do you prefer to play? I default to playing female characters for the most part because of two aspects. The first is that the first four male characters I played in a D&D campaign all died very messily in their first combat. Oh, wow. And okay. I just, you know, I just figured at that point that maybe I was cursed or something. I don't know. But also, I play a lot of LARP. And it's much easier for me with my current closet and that sort of thing to pull costuming out for female characters than it is to try to hide my, and I wish you could see, I'm, I'm kind of gesturing randomly at this point. Um, attributes, uh, <laughs> try to emulate a male character. I've played LARP even with uh, men that play female characters and women that play male characters. And it, it can be very difficult because the players know the gender of the player and tend to default to those pronouns regardless of what you do with costuming, regardless of what you do with your voice modulation and your physical, your body stance and, and that sort of thing. So you end up spending the majority of your game correcting other people's pronouns, which can really pull you out of the role play. And at yeah. that point it's like, eh, what, is, is it really worthwhile? I think the difference between LARPing and uh, tabletop RPG is that when you're playing tabletop RPG, you are playing theater of the mind. You're playing with your mind's eye. Whereas in LARPing, you're playing with your eyes. So it's easier at the table to uh, imagine the woman at the table playing a male character because you have to imagine a character anyway. It's not that big a stretch to imagine... You're making this person up, so you make up a male instead of a female. Whereas with LARPing, I mean, the person's standing right in front of you. It's hard to make that disconnect. Yes. <laughs> Peter uh, Blix, I think it was you that was talking about the difference between LARP and tabletop. But when you were giving your examples, you said that it was much easier to picture at a tabletop game. You, it was much easier to picture that that woman was playing a male character and yet, a little bit further down in the um, the questions that you sent me, you ask, have you ever seen a heterosexual male play a female well? Ah. So that seemed to lend some question about whether you believed that the reverse was actually applicable. So if you're, picture, if you're at a tabletop table mm -hmm. and you have a female player playing a male character and a male player playing a female character before you've played with them at all? Do you have any assumptions about which one will be better at portraying their character accurately than, than the other based on uh, the fact that they are 
male or female playing a male or female. Right off the cuff, I'm going to give it to the female. However, I'm going to keep an open mind because I know for a fact that that's not always the case. I expect that the female is going to be better at playing the male than the male is going to be playing at the female. But I'm completely open to being proven wrong because I have played with females before and, and they do play very good male characters. But I've yet to play with a male player who plays a female character well. And that's only because I haven't played with males that have played with very many female characters. That said, there have been some conventions where I've injected a female character into the party and only male players have showed up. So if someone was forced to play the female, mm-hmm. they've actually done okay at it. But I only play with them for a couple hours. I don't know how that would hold up in the long term. Yeah, my natural instinct is to give it to the female, but I could very well be wrong. I've tried that a couple of times. I ended up being a very butch female. The only guy I already knew who was actually was able to pull it off, and I'm going to burn in hell for saying this, was gay. I'm not going to burn in hell. I mean, <laughs> no, no. But he was. He was. You know, he also was one of these guys who said, okay, I'm gay. I'm going to be gay. <laughs> So, oh, he turned it to 11, yeah. In my group, we had one guy, and he was the stereotype that Bruce put in the question. Six feet tall, scruffy, 300 pounds, big bushy mustache, deep voice, always played female characters, often furry female characters. So that was an added twist, and for years, we were just, no, no. He finally played a male character, and we kept cheering him on like, this is the best you've ever done. Don't go back to the other. And just, that was just no. <laughs> the women in my groups playing male characters? So far that I recall, no. I don't think I've ever had a female character in any incarnation of my groups play a male character before. So your experience is, is that the male did not pull it off well, and you haven't seen a female do it yet. Yeah, well, that particular male just couldn't. I mean, I've seen other males pull off a female character relatively okay. I guess the word would be passable. Okay. But just that one in particular, just, yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. There's your train wreck for you. Bruce, how about you? <laughs> what experiences did you have with that? Well, in convention gaming, I think that most of the time, I think players will play characters of their own gender. Though I don't think that that's really more of a, a preference per gender per se, but rather the fact that they've got this character that they've never seen before. Taking somebody of their own gender, that's one less thing they have to consider. That's one less thing they have to be able to stretch themselves on. They can concentrate on some other things. However, I have noticed one behavior, and I'm going to use a male here because I haven't had that much experience with female gamers. So a, a male guy will come up and, and I'll say, here, I have a character for you. He says, great. What is it? I says, it's an elf. And he goes, oh, okay. And I says, it's a female elf. And he goes, oh, like that made all the difference. <laughs> so it wasn't a big stretch to play an elf, you know, a completely different race of beings. A completely mythical race of beings. <laughs> it was the female that stumped him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, I myself have played a number of female characters. One of the characters I played uh, way back at the beginning of my career was a fighter who was very well endowed, and she went by the name of Bodacious. <laughs> the reason I chose that name 
And she explained it. She says, look, my name is Perspinae Stone. However, I would rather you call me Bodacious because that's my given nickname. And I prefer that name over the names that people will give me if they don't use my given nickname. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and the fact that she had 18-something strength, that she was able to enforce that. But because she was a fighter type, she always had to be very aggressive because that's what fighters do. And so there wasn't a whole lot of what would be considered the feminine aspects didn't come through in the play very much. On the other hand, in other games I played more recently, I was actually playing with my wife in one game. And I said, oh, great, here's an opportunity for, you know, my character and her character to do a little playing, you know, a little romancing each other through our characters. She decided to play a, a character who was essentially uh, because of an age difference between our characters, she said that she had basically raised my character and another character at the table. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'm not dating my aunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So much for that. Thanks. Yeah, so much for that. I would say that I don't have a problem with playing female characters. I think that other players at the table may have problems in that they have expectations once you say you're playing a female character. And I've certainly seen the abuses tend to play male characters simply because it's a go-to kind of thing. I already know what a male is like. I know how I'm like, and all my characters are are, are going to be somewhat an avatar of myself. But it also gives me the opportunity to, you know, if I want to, I can go romancing an NPC someplace, and I don't have to convince the GM that I'm a female character who's interested in romancing either a PC or an NBC, because a lot of the GMs really don't want to do that. They, they want to stick to their script, and they don't want to really go into these more interesting character-type uh, situations. I did notice something. We're all talking about playing. Now, those of us here that GM, uh-huh. I predominantly game master more than play. It's just that that's how I am, call it a god complex, what have you. When I have to take on a female character as an NPC, usually I'll do mannerisms, a little bit of voice inflection, tilt of the head, and it's passable. I don't get a lot of grief for it. It pa- it gets the story along. End of story. I don't have to invest all that much in the character because it's usually a one-shot for that adventure. The rest of you, when you've had to game master and take on a female NPC character for a little while... Have you had experiences with that? Well, darling, I don't know about that, so... Oh, dear God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh. John. Oh, wow. Bad. Bad, John. Oh, well, no. I, well, actually, as, as a character one time, they were basically... I decided it was in a, one of my games. I said they ran into the Roman equivalent of Millicent Bouquet. Nice. <laughs> love, love, Millicent. Love. Awesome. Oh, my dear, yes, over here, over here. Okay, you over there. Stop that. Stop that. (laughs) I don't generally game master, so I'm predominantly a player. I'll do some voices, or I'll just simply add a little false settle sometimes. It really depends on what I'm trying to do with the character. But I I can tell you, our, our game master runs a lot of females as NPCs. He doesn't change his inflection at all. He speaks the way they speak as he would any other NPC. But he will preface what he's saying with who is saying it. Okay, all right. He doesn't feel the need to do that, and it works. It's fine. Does he use inflections and that sort of thing for any of the characters, regardless of gender, or any of the NPCs, regardless of gender? 
Sometimes, but only if it's something extreme. Uh, one time he had a an NPC that was very Scottish, and he threw on the Scottish accent. <laughs> he doesn't do it. He doesn't really throw it in there unless it's something that stands out. I do voice acting, so you know, I I will I'll do voices. I'll slip into a southern accent and say, you know, my darlings, I don't care what you're doing right now. Just you know, bother on, go away. You know, and that's about as far as I'll get soon. I won't do a Monty Python. You know, hello, Mrs. Gadget. <laughs> <laughs> What is your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> well, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Jess. We really respect what you've contributed to the RPG scene, and you've been a great guest. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Come and visit me on my website if you get a chance. Do you mind if I plug it? Yeah, no, go ahead. Please, please. Okay, awesome. It's www.jesshartley.com, and it's the site of my, well, the archived copies, at least, of my blog, One Geek to Another, which is a geek etiquette blog, as well as talking about the gaming industry. Excellent. And we could always use more of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Can't we all? Can't we all? Thank you guys for having me on. Excellent. Thank you for coming. Well, thanks again. Jess Harley for coming on to our show and being so illuminating onto various topics. We really respect what you brought to us and it really gave us a lot to think about. And we hope that you out there who are listening to our podcast have really had gotten a lot out of this also. If this has caused you to think about leaving any comments for us, please feel free to go to www.tritaggamers.com. Please go ahead and leave a comment uh, on our podcast website, www.tritechsystems.podbean.com. Or our Yahoo groups or anywhere else, especially our Facebook page, because we'd love to hear you. And while you're at it, please go on over to iTunes and give us a review, because we love getting reviews on iTunes. But if you do nothing else but enjoy our games, then we love you and we hope to see you again next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. License 3.0. No commercial distribution or derivatives are allowed. The TriTech Podcast is wholly owned by TriTech Games. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.